Wednesday night, we're gonna continue through the Bible, verse by verse, chapter by chapter, book by book, and uh, we're in the Gospel of Luke. So if you wanna read ahead, you can read Luke chapter nine, and we'll see how far we get uh, on our study uh, Wednesday. We draw our Sunday morning text, however, from our upcoming Wednesday. So why don't you turn with me to Luke chapter nine for today's study. Two men shared a hospital room, Mr. Wilson and Mr. Thompson. Um, they were older gentlemen who both had some fairly brutal ailments and were in the hospital for several you know, days by this time. And, and uh, Mr. Wilson, who uh, was positioned by the window, and then Mr. Thompson was positioned by the door entry of the room, uh, but sharing the hospital room. But they sort of became friends. You know, Mr. Wilson couldn't watch TV. It gave him a headache, so they had to keep the TV off. Uh, so they would pass the time by just, you know, talking about family and their lives. And they were both Vietnam vets, so they'd talk about the war and, and just kind of became friends, really. But what really was uh, their favorite part of the day is Mr. Wilson, by the window, he had a lung condition that was, uh, you know, his fluid would fill up in his lungs. And so they would prop him up once a day in the afternoon uh, in his bed so that he'd kind of get the, the right position. And, but he would then look out the window and then tell Mr. Thompson everything he'd see. Oh, he told stories. Oh, there's a park across the street and there's, there's these swans on the pond there and tell them how many and, you know, just give a detailed description. And Mr. Wilson would, Mr. Thompson would listen and Mr. Wilson would explain. And, um, you know, there'd be parades on certain days and he'd explain all the floats and the bands going by and the colors and all that. And it got to the point where Mr. Thompson would almost live for those afternoons when he would have just a little break in his monotony of the hospital room of hearing what's going on out, outside. Um, but one afternoon, Mr. Wilson was giving a play-by-play. -play. There was a little league baseball game over at the park and he was explaining everything that was happening, play-by-play. -play. And it was a nail-biter game. And, and he found himself almost like he could see it with his own eyes, the way Mr. Wilson explained it. Um, and, he, and then a little bitterness got in his heart. He, he thought to himself, why does Wilson get to be over by the window? Um, you know, I pay just as much for this hospital room as he's paying. I, how did he get the window? And I have to be over here by the door where everybody walks in the room. And, and he just kind of felt a little bitterness in his heart. He knew it was ugly and knew it was wrong, but he, he still just kind of let it go in his heart. Um, and then after more and more days of this, every day it would get a little worse, a little more bitterness. Oh, I should be by the window. Mr. Wilson gets to see the view and I have to look at nothing. I can't even turn on the TV because of Wilson. One night, late, about midnight, Mr. Wilson, with his lung condition, started gurgling. You could hear a bubbling gurgling coming from his throat, and he was struggling to breathe. And Mr. Wilson, you know, was reaching for the nurse's call button, but he knocked it off the bed, and it fell to the floor, and, and he was kind of grasping and sort of choking and sputtering. And, and Mr. Thompson, he had the nurse's call button right at his disposal, but he just kind of quietly watched and listened, and, and eventually... Mr. Wilson died. The sound stopped. Sure enough, the next morning, the nurses came in and found Mr. Wilson had passed. And so they covered him up with a blanket and wheeled him out. And when the time seemed to be appropriate, he waited a little bit, but he, when it was appropriate, he said, hey, would, would you guys be able to move me next to the window? And so they rolled Mr. Thompson's bed and tucked him in, got him all situated and Wilson's was gone. And so now he's, he's, he's there by himself and he's all excited. He, he props himself up in his bed. And he's so excited to look out the window, this time for himself. He was so excited to see what he had been missing out on. Um, but as it turns out, he looked out and saw no pond, no kids, no playing of baseball or parades, but what he saw was a gray brick wall. That's all that was there. Mr. Wilson had made up all the stories to encourage Mr. Thompson and, and to help pass the time. And, 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 and Mr. Thompson had realized that he'd only made his life more miserable. It's true, humanity, sometimes we try to make things better for ourselves. Now, if you're new to Aether Creek and you're wondering, why did you say it like that? Uh, yeah, there's a whole nother sermon. It's not about yourself. And you should stop taking your selfies. <laughs> Deny thy selfie. Uh, but the Bible teaches a different kind of thing. It's a whole different deal. In fact, you know, even the world recognized it. It was William Shakespeare who said, striving to better, oft we mar what's well. I think that was in King Lear. But it's true. Mr. Mr. Thompson thought he was gonna get a better deal by looking out the window, but striving to better, oft we mar, mess up, tweak out the things that are already good. 
How many things do we destroy because we live for ourselves and we, we you know, to get the results we want? We, uh, we do, do some of the, the things that we don't care who it hurts or who it bothers, but it's all about ourselves. But more than William Shakespeare or anything else, Jesus actually talked a lot about this topic, about yourself and how to think about yourself, what to do with yourself. Um, and yet it's funny how many people kind of ignore some of the most powerful uh, statements Jesus made. Um, Jesus would obviously make people stop and think when he, when he said stuff. And so many of the things he would say would, would, would kind of shock people because some of them almost seemed contradictory. Jesus was into paradox and irony. In fact, like you'll hear Jesus say, you know, the first shall be last, the last shall be first. Jesus would say, if you wanna be great, you must become the servant of all. Uh, so many things that were kind of ironic that Jesus would declare, uh, seemingly contradictory stuff. Luke 6, 21, Jesus said, you know, blessed are you that hunger now, you will be full. Uh, blessed are you which weep now, you will laugh, Luke 6, 21. Um, Jesus talked about that kind of stuff. Well, one of the great ironies that Jesus brought up is, and, and you know, linked to ourself, is this idea of denying one's self. And he gives this really powerful, I, I get a sense that this is a big one. When Jesus says this, I, I get a sense that we're learning something that's massive, huge, life-changing. Do you look at it that way? I think every word Jesus says is massive and huge and life-changing, but, but what about this? Let, let's read, it's, it's Luke chapter nine, verses 23 and 24. Let's take a look. Luke 9, 23 and 24. It says, and Jesus said unto them all, if any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whosoever will save his life shall lose it. But whosoever will lose his life for my sake, the same shall save it. The irony, if you try to save your life, you're gonna lose it. If you lose your life, then you'll, you'll actually gain life. Deny yourself, take up your cross. If any man will follow, out, follow after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. Interesting, powerful words Jesus gives us here. You know, there's a lot of misunderstanding. Before we talk about what, what deny yourself, take up your cross daily and follow me, before we talk about what it means, can I just kind of mention what it does not mean? Because there's, I think there's a lot of people that read this and they, they, they kind of talk about this incorrectly. And I think it's important for us to kind of make sure and, and be careful with that one. What does it mean to take up your cross daily and follow Christ? I've, I've heard people say, I'm just bearing my cross. I'm taking up my cross. Now, now sometimes for some people, they, they sort of, they can believe any number of things. But one thing is, well, I've, I've made, I've sinned. And so I'm just bearing my, my cross because of my mistakes and my sins. That's a horribly wrong uh, interpretation of that. I'll tell you why. Do, do you, as a Christian, if you're a Christian, do you pay for your sins at all? Does the Lord make you pay for your sins? No, the wages of sin is death and good news. The gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Jesus paid the price for you. The, the fancy doctrinal word that I love so much, propitiation. What's propitiation? It's, it's kind of the idea of substitution, but also satisfaction. Uh, because Jesus substituted himself in your place on the cross, Jesus died for your sins substitutionarily. There was a satisfaction of your debt. The, 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 the debt has been paid in full. The only way for God's wrath against sinful man was appeased um, is to be reconciled through Jesus Christ. And that's, there's no other way. Um, this truth is also communicated like 1 John chapter 2, verse 2. He himself was the propitiation for our sins, John says, and not for ours only, but the sins of the whole world. Um, this is what Jesus did. He was the substitution. So when it comes to take up your cross and follow Jesus, that doesn't mean that you're supposed to, you know, take up a cross and die for your own sins or you're dying, you know, I'm bearing my cross, the burden I'm supposed to bear. Um, it also doesn't mean you're supposed to literally die because how do you die daily? Uh, take up your cross daily, Jesus said. If you die, it's appointed once for a man to die. You only die once. Of course, unless you're this guy from the Philippines. Have you seen this guy for 33 years? Uh, this is a CNN report. Every year a Filipino man marks Good Friday with an actual crucifixion. This guy for 33 years drove four inch nails through his hands and feet, literally. 
And he'd hang there for several hours and then they'd scoop him up off the cross and haul him off in an ambulance um, where then he would, you know, heal up and get ready for the next Good Friday where he'd nail himself to the cross. Now, good news, he retired in 2019. He did it for 33 years. Bad news, he has a bunch of disciples who followed after him and now men and women are crucifying themselves on the cross in the Philippines. Um, I think they're missing the point, wouldn't you agree? Jesus died on the cross so that you wouldn't have to hang on a cross. Um, this is not what Jesus meant. By, I, I know it's ridiculous, but I just had to say, it doesn't mean that you're supposed to go to the cross and die for your sins. That's why Jesus did it instead. So daily taking him your cross. It doesn't mean, uh, you know, suffering for your sins. It doesn't mean literally dying on a cross. So what does it mean for you to take up your cross? It's also confusing because you and I as Christians, if you're a Christian here, we have a love for the cross. When I say the cross, you know, we sing songs, old rugged cross, and you know, the, the cross is what we look to and, and we find joy even. How can we look at it that way? But think about when Jesus was talking to the people in that day. Did they have a warm, fuzzy place for the word cross when Jesus said these words? Um, if you were a first century person living in Jesus' time and he said the word cross, what would actually go through your heart and mind when you heard that word? The answer is horror. The, the cross is horrifying. It's a horrif horrible way. The Romans perfected the art of crucifying people on crosses to have the most excruciating, painful death imaginable. It was an art form to make a person live a long time so that they could just suffer as they're hanging on a cross. There was no, oh, the cross, I look and bear, you know, none of that. It was when Jesus said, take up your cross, they would have said, ah, what? What do you want us to do? If any man come after me, deny himself, take up his electric chair, gas chamber, lethal injection table. Like what's, what's the image today that we think of as kind of an instrument of death? So what, what is Jesus saying here when he says this? This would have perhaps put fear in people's hearts when he said, if you're gonna follow after me, now this is the, the qualification of what he's talking about. If you're gonna be a disciple, if you're gonna follow after me, if any man comes after me, what are you gonna do? Deny yourself. Now it's not about yourself and your comfort and your joy and all that stuff. Deny yourself, take up your cross, an instrument of brutality and you know, pain and follow me. Hmm, what is Jesus talking about? I believe one must be willing to give up their life and give up not just your, your heartbeat and your pulse and all that, but literally the idea is dying to yourself. That's what he's talking about yourself. Let him deny himself and take up a cross, death, and follow me. So it really is Jesus saying, if you're gonna follow after me, one of the things you need to do, count the cost before you claim to be a disciple or a follower of Jesus. You gotta say, I'm gonna be one who takes up my cross, denies myself, um, and be willing to die to self. Dying to self is sort of saying, I'm gonna surrender to God even if it hurts, even if it costs. If it costs you a relationship or jobs or family members, if it costs you that position, or whatever, that work. You know, this idea of dying to oneself. By the way, there's a really good book on this uh, that is written about uh, this dying to self daily. Take up your cross daily. There's a really good book I like to re recommend. It's called The Bible. <laughs> Remember, what's the best commentary on the Bible? It is the Bible. Um, I, I really wanna stress that because so many people look to other books and podcasts and other things, but the, the Bible is just so full and complete and rich and it's got everything we need. And, and not only that, I find as I read the Bible more and more, I, I, I see this inter, integrated message system that God gives. And, and if you look carefully, you start connecting dots that are really helpful. And one of the dots I'd like to connect for you is this idea of Jesus saying, you know, take up your cross, but the word that he attaches to it that I, I kind of want to focus on daily. That's what Jesus says. He says, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily and follow me. This is one of the things the Bible tells us to do daily. Every day you're supposed to take up your cross, which means deny yourself every day. Now you, you say, okay, Brett, great, got it. Uh, daily, deny yourself, take up your cross. But what I'd like to do is show you some of the other things the Bible tells you and me we're supposed to do daily. And I think everything the Bible tells us to do daily actually contributes to what Jesus is talking about, denying yourself, taking up the cross daily and following him. They're all uh, linked. 
all the daily things of the Bible. Let me show you. There's actually seven main daily things the Bible speaks of. Um, you can jot them down if you want. Number one, um, one of the things we're supposed to do is daily give an offering. You mean like a sacrifice? You mean like a lamb offering on an altar? Well, yes and no. Um, uh, let's, let's go back on this daily offering. When was daily sacrifice instituted? Well, as it turns out, after the giving of the law of Moses, um, when Joshua was taking the, the baton from Moses, when the transfer of power from Moses to Joshua um, happened, there was a, a daily part of the sacrifice that started happening. And it's, you can find it there in Numbers 28, verses three and four. Um, that's when it was instituted, the daily sacrifice. It says in Numbers 28, verse three, thou shalt say unto them, this is the offering made by fire, which you shall offer unto the Lord. Two lambs of the first year without spot. Day by day, there it is, the dailiness. Um, for a continual burnt offering, um, one, the one lamb shall thou offer in the morning and the other lamb thou shalt offer in the evening. Morning and evening, a lamb would be offered. Now, you say, Brett, why do they kill lambs in the Old Testament? Well, it's the same reason you and I take communion in the New Testament. Uh, we take communion, the bread and the cup. Jesus told us to do this in remembrance. Retrospectively, we look back to Jesus dying on the cross and we remember what happened. The Old Testament Jews, they didn't look backward. They looked forward to the Messiah. Remember John the Baptist would say, behold the lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. The Jews, their Old Testament practices were to look forward to when the Messiah would come and take the sins of the world. So these lambs, every single day that the priest would offer, whether it was in the tabernacle or eventually into the temple of the Old Testament, they would do this daily, morning and evening, a lamb. And it was to commemorate the Messiah who would come and take away the sins of the world. Daily, day by day. Um, so the day by day continually offering. Now you're saying, Brett, are you saying we're gonna have to kill a lamb? I brush my teeth in the morning, get some Cheerios and slaughter a lamb in the backyard and then go to work. Aren't you glad we don't have to do that? Some of you are like, I do it every day. My Traeger, fire that thing up, we get some lamb chops, it's awesome. No, like, not, like this would be a chore. Uh, morning and evening, the priest would have to do this. That's the Old Testament picture of a New Testament truth. By the way, you don't disconnect the two. The Old Testament pictures are so helpful to help us understand the New Testament truth. Um, so what's the New Testament part of this? Um, you know, um, interesting, the, 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 the old children of Israel were told to make sacrifices in the temple. Um, quiz time, question, what is the temple a picture of in the Old Testament that we see in the New? Does anybody know? The temple, what is the temple pictured of in there in the New Testament? Right, our bodies. Uh, in fact, it's kind of funny how Paul the apostle handles this. He starts off going, what? That's what he says. What? Exclamation point, question mark. He says, what? Don't you know, like you should have known this already. Don't you know that your body is the temple to the Holy Ghost, which is in you, which ye have of God and you are not your own? Paul is kind of shocked that while well, you don't even know that your body's in the New Testament church, it's a temple to the Holy Ghost. Now, Peter jumps on the same bandwagon in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 5, when he says, you are also living stones being fitted together to build a spiritual house, a holy priesthood. Now, so our bodies are a temple. We have a holy priesthood in the church of Jesus Christ that's pictured in the Old Testament, but revealed in the New as the church our bodies are the temple. And it says to offer up, Peter says in 1 Peter 2, 5, to offer up spiritual sacrifices that are acceptable to God by Christ Jesus. What are your temples for? To offer up spiritual sacrifices. It's the same thing as the Old Testament, only we don't have to literally do the lamb sacrifice. So you say, okay, Brett, good. I'm glad we don't have to do that. But what sacrifice are we supposed to offer? Well, this is where Paul helps us out again, connecting the dots in Romans chapter 12. Many of you are familiar with this. In Romans 12, one and two, it says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies, which are what? What are our bodies? A temple. Present your bodies a living sacrifice. Um, so now we're starting to talk about the sacrifice uh, of our bodies, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. It's not unreasonable to ask a believer to say, I'm gonna present my body a living sacrifice to the Lord. And that's reasonable. Now, some people disconnect this next verse, but it's all connected. 
it goes on and says, and be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove, mark the word prove there, because that's kind of an important word here, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. What's proven? The will of God for your life. One of the biggest questions I get as a pastor over the years is people say, Brad, how do you know what God's will is for your life? And people really wanna know that one. But this verse gives us the key. The key is you start with say, I'm gonna just present my body, my, my life, my person as a living sacrifice. Now there is a problem. I heard one preacher say, the only problem with a living sacrifice is it tends to squirm off the altar. <laughs> that is true. You and I, we tend to wiggle our way off of um, you know, uh, where the Lord actually wants us to sacrifice our lives to, to him, um, deny yourself taking up your cross and just giving your life as a disciple. If any man wants to follow after me, you must deny yourself. So, so that's the key, not to squirm off the altar, but it is a living, your body's being presented a living sacrifice. And this is all part of understanding what God's will for your life is. If you wanna know God's will, you start with presenting your body as a living sacrifice, which is holy and acceptable and it's a reasonable service. And one of the ways you squirm off the altar is to being conformed to this world. The more worldly you are, the less you are presenting your body as a living sacrifice to the Lord. That's why these are so connected. But be transformed, changed. Metamorphosis is the Greek word that is employed here. Metamorphosized, metamorpho is the Greek word there. To be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is God's good, good and acceptable will. The word prove there is a great word in the Greek, not to be overly Greeked out here, but um, uh, it's a great word. It's domikazo, which means to confirm, to recognize as genuine after examination. It's a very rich word. So do you wanna confirm God's will for your life? Recognize the genuine will for God or for you for, from God? Um, after examining what God wants you to do, just, just to know and confirm, how do you do that? I believe you daily offer your body a sacrifice unto the Lord, holy and acceptable, which is your reasonable service as a disciple, as a follower of Jesus. So in the Old Testament, you make sacrifices in the temple. In the New Testament, you daily make a sacrifice of our temple to the Lord. And what do you do? Now, now, now how do you do that practically? Well, I'm not gonna say I know for sure every detail of how you present your body, a living sacrifice to the Lord, but can I just give you a suggestion? something that I think is probably a good start. In the Bible, the, the Bible talks about your body parts a lot. Um, you know, I wonder if you just literally, what, what would happen if you started this week saying, okay, tomorrow morning I'm gonna wake up and, and I'm gonna do my devotions. I'm gonna pray and read the Bible. I'll get to the read the Bible part in a second. But the pray part, what if you just started saying, Lord, I just present my body a sacrifice to you, my mouth. Your word reminds me my tongue is an unruly evil full of deadly poison. Lord, I wanna dedicate my mouth, the things I say to you today as a sacrifice, which is my reasonable service. My ears, Lord, the things I hear and take in and that I'm listening to may it be pleasing to you. I wanna present my ears, my hands, the things that I do, the, the feet, where I go, um, you know, my eyes, the things I look at. Do you know the Bible? The, the, the Bible people com committed the body parts. Like for example, David in Psalm 101 verse three said, I will set no unclean thing before my eyes or no wicked thing before my eyes. Wouldn't that be great if, if we all just said that in the morning, Lord, I give my eyes to you. When I'm flipping through my phone, I'm gonna make sure that I'm looking only at things that are pleasing in your sight. I'm not gonna look at things that are not good and, and not a sacrifice. I'm gonna deny myself and commit my eyes uh, to you. What you see is what you'll be. I think that's one of the things that happens. The more things you look at, you start kind of exhibiting that. And that's when we start conforming to this world and you're squirming off the altar again. So committing your eyes, your hands, your feet, like could it be just, just say, Lord, I present my body a sacrifice to you, which is holy and acceptable. So that's the first thing that I think we're called to do daily is to present a sacrifice to the Lord. Um, give an offering, daily give an offering. Number two, uh, I'll show you another one, daily cry to the Lord. Now, when I say cry, I'm not talking about wham. Some of you are really good at that. That's not what I'm talking about. Don't be a good wham person, you know, crying. Some of you guys are really good at crying to other people at work. I can't believe what's going on in the Middle East with Israel and the Hamas. Wham. 
when it's really a horrible thing that's going on over there, the horrible thing. And, and it's funny how people are talking and giving you know, their big opinions about Israel and Hamas and the Palestinians. And it's a horrible situation. But what if instead of being, you know, crying out to everybody else, what if we actually cried out to the Lord and just, just asked the Lord to, to cover that, intervene for his will to be done? Um, if it's not your, your people, at buddies at work, your friends, crying out to your friends, crying out to your wife or husband, crying out to your mommy, like who, who do you cry out to when you're in trouble and stuff? But the, the, the Bible teaches we're supposed to cry out to the Lord uh, in prayer. It's something we're called to do. Um, I love what the psalmist, going back to the Psalms, he said in Psalm 86, one through three, bow down thy ear, O Lord, hear me for I am poor and needy. Preserve my soul for I am holy. O thou, my God, save thy servant that trusteth in thee. Be merciful unto me, O Lord, for I cry unto thee daily. This is one of the things you see in the Bible people do daily. Daniel, who was in real trouble in you know, captivity in Babylon, he prayed three times daily, even when it was gonna cost him his life, go to the lion's den. Daniel was a guy who said, I refuse to not make part of my daily sacrifice that of prayer, crying out to the Lord. And if you read Daniel's prayers in the book of Daniel, it's kind of amazing. He'd, he'd say, oh Lord, forgive us for our sins. We have sinned against you and our iniquity has been in your face. Like Daniel cried out, not just for his own sins. I, I kind of marvel that Daniel was such a squared away, amazing guy. Um, but even Daniel says, no, I'm gonna pray, Lord, forgive us of our sins. He prayed confession for the nation. Boy, do you think we as Americans have some confessing to do? We should be like Daniel, Lord, forgive America for our iniquity and our sin. Uh, boy, we have a lot to cry out to the Lord about, but instead of complaining about this and griping and putting it up on social media, a disciple is gonna die to themselves and cry out to the Lord daily, um, you know, through intercession, praying for others and supplication. Even David here in this Psalm is praying for his own things. He says, oh Lord, preserve my soul. I'm poor and needy. He's letting his, that's supplication, but intercessions when you're praying for other people on behalf of other people, intercession. Um, you know, I love intercession because it's not self-centered. It's focused on others. That's denying yourself. Intercessory prayer is the, is the most unselfish kind of prayer. One, one pastor gave a sermon on praying intercessor, intercessory prayer and um, he challenged his congregation, go home and pray for a whole week, but try your hardest not to pray um, for yourself this week, just pray intercession prayer. So this one you know, young woman uh, goes home and she gets on her knees, oh Lord, I pray for my mother that her son-in-law will be extremely handsome. <laughs> Have you ever noticed how easy it is to pray for yourself? When Jesus taught about prayer, the Lord's prayer, how many times did Jesus say I, me, or my? Zero. The Lord's prayer had none of that. It was not self-centered at all, zero. So something to do daily is cry unto the Lord. And I think we have a huge hole in Christianity where not a lot of, there's not a lot of intercessory prayer warriors like there probably should be. We could use some of that. True disciples of Jesus are gonna deny themselves and daily cry unto the Lord. So number one, daily give an offering. Number two, daily cry to the Lord. Number three on our list of things to do here, daily, daily teach and preach. Well, Brett, that's your job. That's what we pay you to do. That's why we're here. You're teaching and preaching. Well, that's what I'm doing, I'll admit. And I love doing it. It's, it's my favorite thing to do. But um, I gotta tell you, one of the biggest mistakes the church of Jesus Christ makes is thinks that it's my job to teach and preach it, alone. But actually, I, I wanna dub thee all ordained ministers. If you're a Christian here, bless you, my children, you're all teachers and preachers. Uh, and I didn't do that, actually. Guess who did do that, though? Jesus. Did you know that Jesus has ordained you? You're an ordained minister. Uh, how's that, Brett? Well, do you remember what Jesus said there in John 15, 16? You have not chosen me, but I have chosen you and ordained you, he says, that you should bring forth fruit and, and that fruit should remain. And he's not just talking to his 12 apostles in that statement. He's talking to all the people who consider themselves disciples. So if you consider yourself a disciple, remember that's what we're talking about here and back to our text of Luke 9, 23, um, if any man will come after me, that's a disciple following Jesus. Let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow me daily. 
One of the things you should do as a daily follower of Jesus is be willing to teach and preach the truth of the word of God. Um, where does the Bible teach us to do that daily? Um, I love Acts chapter five, verse 42. Um, this, if you wanna know what the church did in the early church before it got all tweaked out, um, uh, just read the book of Acts. I love the book of Acts. It just turns all the dials back to fresh start and you can see what is the church supposed to do? And one of those statements is here in Acts 5.42. It says, and daily in the temple and in every house, they ceased not to teach and preach Jesus Christ. Um, see the daily part, you say, Brett, that's your job. Well, daily in the temple, if you would, that's kind of what I do, but also daily in every house. That's what you do. Daily in the temple and in the house, every house, they ceased not to teach and preach Jesus Christ. You see, there's people that would never set foot in a church like this or any church for that matter. And they're the people that your neighbors living next to you, they're the people that work with you at Intel in the sea of cubicles. And there's people that need to hear the gospel. And, and I wonder how many of you disciples need to die to yourself because that's what it requires. It's not easy to go and teach and preach the gospel. You don't have to do it in front of multitudes like you know pastors or whatever but the Lord will put you in a position where you can share the good news of the gospel with someone you go to school with or work with or your neighbors. Oh, I, I feel like we're missing opportunities today because disciples of Jesus are not willing to daily teach and preach. There was a young man who read this little verse early in his ministry. Um, he was a young pastor. And when he read this verse, it struck him. It just, you know how verses sometimes pop out and smack you? Just like, wow, this is for me. He felt that. And when it said daily, the word daily is the part that really hit him. And, he, and he, he said, Lord, I'm called to be a minister. He said, I'm going to make sure that every day of my life, I share the gospel with someone who doesn't know. And so he made that his rule. Before the sun goes down, he said, I'm gonna share the gospel with someone um, and teach the word of God, teach or preach. Um, this is none other than, by the way, D.L. Moody. Um, he lived in the 1800s, uh, died in 1899, but known for being one of the truly great evangelists. He led so many people to Christ, it's, 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 it's amazing. Um, the thing I love about D.L. Moody is I can relate to him. He wasn't the sharpest knife in the drawer, if you know what I mean. Like there were way more scholarly preachers and pastors during his time period. Um, you know, like, like the, you know, Charles Spurg Spurgeons and, and uh, the Whitfields and some of them, there was some scholarly brilliant, but he, he was kind of famous for not being very good with grammar, um, not being the sharpest knife in the drawer. But the thing he did is that I'm going to teach and preach the gospel every single day. In fact, there's a story about D.L. Moody that I love. He, he actually, it was in his older years and he was going to bed one night and he was in his pajamas and has a little, you know, lantern and he's walking to his bed and he realized, oh, Today I got so tied up with stuff, I forgot to share the gospel. Like he literally was troubled. I, I didn't do what I vowed that I would do. He put his lantern down, changed back into his day clothes, went out into the streets at 11 o'clock at night, found the first unbeliever he could find, shared the gospel and led him to the Lord. The guy repented and accepted Christ. Then he went back up, put his pajamas on and went to bed. That's how serious he was about daily teaching and preaching. Oh, wouldn't it be great if we took, I don't think you have to be legalistic and say every single day unnecessarily, but wouldn't it be great if daily we're just really looking for every opportunity that the Lord puts in front of us to share the good news, to teach the truth daily? That's such an important thing. So daily present your body a sacrifice to the Lord. Daily crying out to the Lord in prayer. Daily teaching and preaching. Number four, daily search the scriptures. There was a group of people that daily searched the scriptures. Um, does anybody remember, what was the group in the Bible of people that searched the scriptures daily? Yes, the Bereans. Let's take a look at that. It's Acts 17, 11. Maybe if you've been around Athe Creek for very long, I, I quote this verse like maybe once a month, at least, maybe more. Because I like to remind people, don't just take my word for it, but be like the Bereans who search the scriptures to see if what that preacher is saying is true or false. They, the Bereans were doing that with everyone, Paul the apostle or anybody they'd hear, they would search the scriptures daily, every day, searching the scriptures. Um, now, let me say something about this because I, I do say this a lot and I, once in a while I get somebody to come, now, Pastor Brett, I noticed you made an error in your sermon. You, you said the book of Numbers when it was actually the book of Exodus. 
Um, can I just say, uh, I make mistakes like that all the time. I'm sorry. And anybody with a pulse does. Pastors make mistakes. And there's a difference between like a, just speaking something erroneously, accidentally, versus teaching false teaching and false doctrine. That's a different thing. Uh, so don't be the person that goes, I caught you, Pastor Ben, and I'm being a Berean. I noticed that you, uh, your sentence structure was wrong. It's like, uh, you're gonna be busy if you're looking for wrong sentence structure with me. It reminds me of... Um, this, this, when I was a young pastor, this, this older couple at AC Creek, there was probably 40 people at AC Creek at that time. And after a service, I remember uh, they came up to me and said, uh, Pastor Brett, we'd like to take you out to lunch. I was like, uh-oh. <laughs> but lunch, hey, free lunch. Okay, I said, I'll go. Um, so Debbie and I uh, went with this couple to lunch, uh, delicious meal at Applebee's. Um, but they said, Pastor, we want you to know we are, uh, we are basically interviewing you to see if Athey Creek uh, is the church we will become tithing members. Now, you got to understand, this is a language that makes me feel gross. I don't even like the idea of a tithing member. Uh, if you know me, that's not the way I roll or even think. Um, as soon as they said that, I'm like, I hope you're not tithing members here at Athey Creek. Like, that's kind of my attitude, if that's what you're, you know. And so I was kind of like, well, okay, you know, whatever. And they said, well, and I said, you know, great. But they just seemed very prickly and not very friendly. And I thought, well, we'll see what happens. And they said, we're going to inspect and just let you know, we're, you know, you're under scrutiny right now. About six or seven weeks later after church, they came up and said, Pastor Brett, we're ready to meet with you again. Uh, are we going to go to lunch? Yeah, Okay. <laughs> So we went to lunch and this couple said, Pastor Brett, we've decided to make Athey Creek our church home where we'll become tithing members at Athey Creek. And I thought, oh no. <laughs> I thought, what did I do wrong, you know? But then they continued. They said, and Pastor Brett, we want you to know we will check you every week of what you say to see if you're incorrect. It was like really brutal. And I, and I was a little younger and maybe a little more smart aleck, I think, than I am today, maybe. And I said to them, man, you're gonna be busy. That's what I said. And they kind of, <laughs> but, but that, that, I actually haven't told the other services this. There's actually more to the story. They did, they did start coming to Athey Creek and for a couple years they came to Athey Creek and they, their whole demeanor changed. Like as time went by with just the teaching of scripture, they started realizing, oh wow, yeah, the joy of the Lord is our strength. And you'll know your disciples by your love one for another. And that whole prickly kind of work checking you. Um, but they were just thinking, we're just being good Bereans. But, but can I just say, don't be a prickly wacko Berean because that's not what they were. They were actually really nice people. You wanna know how I know that? Look at this verse. The first thing that says about those that were more noble, the Bereans than the Thessalonians, in that they received the word with readiness of mind. Do you see the difference there? They were there to say, man, we just love taking in the word. We're ready to take it in. That was their attitude. And they said, oh, and by the way, we're gonna search the scripture daily to see if what's being said is true or false. What does that look like? Does it look like every Sunday after church, you going home, okay, let's see what bread, bread, bread. Is that what you're doing? No, here's what, here's what they were doing. They were reading the Bible every single day themselves, personally. Um, I liken it to the teller at the bank who handles cash all day. Did you know they don't spend time teaching tellers what counterfeit bills look like? I'll tell you why. Because a teller who's handling real cash every single day, you start to develop a sense and a feel for true versus false. You're handling real money so much that if a counterfeit comes, my, both of my sisters, Jenny and Tammy were tellers. And they said, when a, when a counterfeit would come through, you'd be you know, shooting money out. All of a sudden one just felt a little different, whether it was the weight of the paper or the ink or the smell or whatever. It all was a little different, just enough where it looked like the dollar bill or whatever, but it was counterfeit. In the same way, this is what I think the Bereans were doing. They were just reading the scriptures daily. They searched the scriptures daily to see if those things were true or false. Um, you see, it's not as much about going home and checking things up. It's read your Bible every day. And then when you hear something on a podcast and you go, ah, that just doesn't feel right. What's, what's the deal? If you're a searcher of the scripture every day, when you hear something that's spoken by a pastor or podcaster or social media, whatever, um, you'll just go, you know what? That's not right. You may not even be able to pin down exactly why it's not right, but you'll have a sense and a discernment. And as you go back to remember what you read in the scriptures, you go, oh yeah, this is what the scriptures actually says about that. 
So one of the things you and I should do daily is search the scriptures. That's what these people did. Notice the word daily. They searched the scriptures daily. Um, that's another daily thing in the Bible we're supposed to do. So are you with me so far? Number one, we've got, by the way, on the, the day, searching the scriptures daily, what a, there's such a lack of that today. I just have to say, uh, Amos the prophet, do you remember Amos chapter eight, verse 11 and 12? He says, he says that in the last days, the days are coming, saith the Lord God, that I will send a famine in the land, not a famine of bread or water, but a famine of, does anybody remember what? Hearing the word of God. There's gonna be a famine in the last days. And I think we're there. People love to hear about five points to making your life better, 10 ways to balance your checkbook, uh, marriage and divorce, 10 tips on tithing. But there's a famine. People are starving for scripture. Um, and that's why I think, by the way, in these days we're living, you show me a, a, a Bible teaching church that like literally really goes through the Bible in some way, shape or form, uh, you're gonna find a church that's full. People are hungry for the word. I think people are tired for fancy pastors with you know, eloquent sermons about certain topics that may or may not have to do with anything about their life. But the word of God, people are starving, just like Amos said. And they'll, the, he goes on there in, in Amos chapter eight, he says, they shall wander from sea to sea, from, from north to even the east, and they'll run to and fro seeking the word of the Lord, but they shall not find it. That's what the last days are gonna look like. So we shouldn't contribute to that. We should be daily searching the scriptures and making that a part of our deal. Uh, very important. So daily giving your, uh, your body an offering to the Lord, daily crying, daily teaching and preaching, daily searching the scriptures. Number five, daily comfort one another. That's another thing we're supposed to do daily. Again, I could show you many verses. I'll, I'll just for sake of time, show you one of my favorites. In Hebrews chapter three, verse 13, it says, but exhort one another, daily. There it is. While it is called today. Does anybody find that funny? I, I do find funny things in the Bible. The author of the Hebrews says, um, exhort one another daily while it's still today. Um, is he being snarky there? Kind of? I don't know. It's like if you're at the traffic light, you know, and, and the light turns green, but the person in front of you is playing on their phone. And you're like, today? <laughs> it's not going to get any greener. I would never say that. Um, but... <laughs> <laughs> but it's almost like the author here is like, exhort one another daily while it's still today. Kind of like, you know, D.L. Moody giving, preaching the word daily. He says, while it's still today, I'm gonna go preach the sermon. Same thing. Um, Lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. What are we supposed to do? Exhort. Now, Brett, you said, you said this point is actually daily comforting. What does exhortation have to do with comfort? The word exhortation uh, in modern English has become kind of a negative thing. Uh, have you met people that are very much exhorters? Uh, most of us don't like you if you're an exhort. I have the gift of exhortation. <laughs> like run for your life from that person. Um, but the word exhortation, it actually used to mean not just you know, giving you a piece of the mind, that's kind of the way modern exhortation sounds, but exhortation included words of comfort and edification. And, and by the way, if you think I'm just making this up, you can check this out for yourself. But the, if you look up in Hebrews 3.13, the word exhort, um, it's this interesting Greek word. The original language of that is this word parakleo, which means um, speak comfort to console, strengthen, and encourage. That's what it means. That's what the Greek word means. If you go to the original text. So it basically says, you know, um, you are to uh, uh, comfort, console, strengthen, and encourage each other daily. That's what Hebrews is telling us in 3.13. You and I have an opportunity to use our mouths. Remember we, we dedicated our mouth on the first one because our body is a sacrifice. We're gonna deny ourselves and make our mouth something that's pleasing to the Lord. How do you do that? Well, this is part of that to just give a word of comfort and, and consolation and strength and encouragement to people. Look for opportunities to do that daily. First Thessalonians 5.11 says, therefore encourage one another and build each other up just as you are doing. They were, they were going around encouraging each other. Um, Proverbs 18.21 reminds you and me, death and life are in the power of the tongue. They that love it shall eat the fruit thereof. You and I have a privilege, an opportunity to daily use your mouth to speak words of encouragement. Are you good at that? Are you an encourager? 
Are you the person, you guys know who I'm talking about. Do you guys all know people that are like, they walk into a room and they just put their hand on your shoulder and say, man, I sure appreciate you and this and this. And then they walk away and you're just like, ah, I feel so good. That's so nice. There's people that are like that and, and they do it in a way that's so genuine. It just, it really is encouraging. There's some athe creakers that are like that. They just constantly encouraging. Or are you one of those people that's constantly correcting, judging, um, telling us what you know, giving us a piece of your mind, being critical or cynical. Boy, this happens, especially the more familiar you are with someone, the more critical you can become. Just ask your married couples. Are you one of those husbands that only give words of correction to your wife? You know more than she does. I see elbows flying. <laughs> Listen to the pastor, she says. Are you one of those guys? When was the last time you just gave a word of encouragement? Because that's what your tongue is capable of, believe it or not. It's within your denying yourself, not thinking about yourself, but taking with your tongue and saying, I'm gonna just say a word of encouragement. And you get to do that, that's a get to. And that's what the, the disciple of Jesus, sometimes being encouraging or saying something nice to someone takes energy and effort. And, and you might even feel, there's a there's subconscious thing that happens. If I compliment them, then they'll think I'm encouraging them for the bad things that they do. Because I know that they're, they're wacko and this, that, and the other thing. So I'm not gonna compliment them unless they think I approve of all the other horrible things they do. Do you realize how goofy that is? The Bible says, approve that which is excellent. Find the good things to encourage people in and build each other up. Um, we'll get back to that one. So daily comfort one another. Number six, I don't know why I put this one as number six. Probably should have made this number one because this one goes best with what Jesus is saying daily. Take up your cross daily and follow me. Um, but I wanna show you elsewhere in the Bible where it says this one. Number six on the list, we're gonna put die, daily die. Um, Brett, isn't that being redundant? You, you die to yourself, deny yourself, take up your cross, follow in what you're saying. It's dying to yourself. Yeah, but let me show you kind of practically where it talks about that. Um, in 1 Corinthians 15, 31, Paul, who was being criticized by a bunch of people and they were, you know, the Corinthian church was a bunch of wackos and Paul was like giving them a spanking. That's what 1 Corinthians and even 2 Corinthians is more of a spanking than the 1 Corinthians. Um, but, but Paul says, I protest by your rejoicing because they were rejoicing in his imprisonment and stuff like that, which I have in Christ Jesus, our Lord. He says, I die daily. What does that mean? Was he dying? Now, Paul, you have to be careful with this because he really did die once in a while, for real. Remember they stoned him to death and, and it says he died. Um, and then there's this thing where he went into the heavens and saw a vision and then he came back and he came out of the pile of rocks and got up, dusted himself off, walked back in the city and started preaching again. So you kind of have to be careful with Paul because he did die almost daily, it seemed, literally. But that's a whole different thing. What he's saying here though is different. He's saying, you guys are rejoicing in my suffering that's all right, I die to myself daily. That's what he's saying. I die daily. This, this, this same thing that Jesus is saying, um, if, if you're gonna follow after me, take up your cross and follow after me. That's what Paul's saying here. I am dying daily. Um, we use the expression, I think I'm gonna die because you're so hungry or something. Um, but this actually means to die. He's saying, I, I die to myself, to my selfish ambi ambitions. I'm gonna die to wanna have a better reputation among the Corinthian church. I'm gonna die to myself and not worry about that. Uh, and I'm not gonna put up a fight on that. I'm just gonna die to myself. Uh, daily an offering, presenting your body a living sacrifice might also include just dying to yourself. I told you the problem with the living sacrifice that squirms off the altar, this is one of the big ones. Because if you're really a disciple of Jesus, you're gonna learn how to die to yourself on the things that really especially don't matter. What do you mean, Brett? Let's say you're a couple um, in the thriving metropolis of Tualatin. And you're living there up on the hill there, up behind Tualatin. And, and you and your, your husband, your wife, you're going uh, to the grocery store, going to Fred Meyer's to get some groceries. And on your way to Freddy's, uh, you start to turn the car and your wife says, oh no, I think it's faster if you take Avery. And he says, no, I think it's faster on Martinezzi. No, Avery, Martinezzi, Avery, Martinezzi. Well, you know, there's construction and it's gonna, oh, people. And then pretty soon you're up, you're, you've taken a five cent discussion to be a $5 argument. 
I'm sure none of you couples have ever had stupid arguments for no reason. <laughs> but let's say you're in that situation. If you're a disciple of Jesus, you know what you're gonna do? You're gonna die to yourself. Here's how that looks. When your wife's saying, honey, I think I know better. Now remember, you know, it's, you're gonna save 30 seconds. One of you are right. And you're gonna save 30 seconds taking another alternate route. It really doesn't matter. So you realize, you know what? I'm just gonna die to myself. So the husband, he says, honey, why don't we take your way? I'm sure you know what's best. And by the way, I think you're beautiful. Did you, did you know how beautiful you are? See what I did there? Two for one, man. I just did the whole, you know, encourage one another. Uh, and I died to myself and said, you see, um, now, Brett, why'd you make the husband do that? Well, by the way, and ladies, would you plug yours just for a second? The Bible says, husbands love your wives as Christ loved the church and what? Gave himself for it. He died for the church. If anybody needs to die, it's the husband, honestly. Now, ladies, you can unplug your ears. Because you need to die too, but die yourself. The question is, Who's gonna die first? Wouldn't it be a great game in marriage to say, I'm gonna, well, let's see who can die first and remember how important it is to die to yourself. Give up your argument, love your husband, love your wife as Christ loved the church. Um, this, is, this is what we need to do. And, 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 and we see that Jesus, man, he'd, he'd modeled this as he was standing on this crazy trial in front of Pontius Pilate and they were accusing him falsely of all kinds of stuff. And Jesus would open not his mouth, not even a word. He would just remain silent. If anybody could have made a, a, an amazing argument of the stupidity of all those people, Jesus could have blasted them intellectually. He could have blasted them physiologically, just make their brains explode. That would have been great. But, but, but actually not so much because what did Jesus do? He laid down his life willingly. You know, being a disciple of Jesus, you got to follow Jesus's lead. And while you want to blast people, the best thing you can do is actually die to yourself. Who can die faster? That's, that's the disciple of Jesus. Um, don't get me wrong. There's obviously a place and a time to discuss and talk and even make an argument for certain things. Don't get me wrong. There's a place for that. But a lot of the stuff we get all upset about in this life, we're, we're, we're worrying about ourselves and our own reputation and what our wife thinks. Do we know our way to Fred Meyer or not? It doesn't matter. Die, 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 die. Finally, lastly, number seven, another daily in the Bible is daily watch for Jesus. What do you mean? Watch for the coming of Christ. This is the one that a lot of churches could care less about. Uh, prophecy, prophecy, you churches that are into Bible prophecy. I always kind of make the argument, well, if you're, if you're into the Bible, you kind of have to be into Bible prophecy. One fourth of this book, one fourth of it is Bible prophecy about the second coming of Christ. So if you don't wanna talk about Bible prophecy, whoosh, you gotta rip out, rip out one fourth of the Bible. But when you read about that stuff, the Bible says over and over again, watch, be vigilant, be sober. Paul in 1 Thessalonians chapter five says, I don't even need to write because you, the church, know the times and the seasons. Why? Because you're watching. Jesus on the Olivet Discourse said, watch, be the faithful servant that's watching and waiting for the coming of the Lord. Not like the wicked servants, ah, oh, the Lord delays his coming. And so he parties down, punches his friend in the face and gets drunk with those, the drunkards. And the Lord says, that person's gonna end up in the place where there's weeping and wailing and gnashing of teeth. I don't wanna be in that, that clan. I'd rather be with the faithful servant who's, guess what? Watching for the coming of the Lord. Well, Brett, I've been around Atha Creek and I know that you've been doing prophecy updates for the past 30 years and Jesus hasn't come back yet. Good eye. <laughs> but can I just say, um, I have zero apology for that. I'll tell you why. The Lord wants us, whether you're Paul the apostle of the old first century time period or you're D.L. Moody or Charles Spurgeon or Finney or Tory or any of the old you know, dead guys, the Lord wanted us all to live with a watchful eye. That was his point. He wants the church to live with, the Lord could come back today. You say, well, what's the point in that? What a waste of time. I'll tell you, it's not a waste of time. And the Bible even tells us. Um, let me show you a few scriptures on this. Uh, first of all, Proverbs chapter eight. I love this one because it's, it's talking to both Old Testament people prophetically and New Testament people. The first coming and the second coming of Christ. Proverbs eight thirty four. Blessed is the man that heareth me, watching, how often? 
daily at my gates, waiting at the post of my doors, for whoso, whoso findeth me findeth life and shall obtain favor of the Lord. Watching for the Lord daily. This is something we get to do. You say, Brett, what's the point? You know, um, should I be like Rick Warren who wrote in his you know, book about, you know, uh, don't waste your time with prophecy. It's all gonna happen. We should all be about only evangelism. Um, that's a mischaracterizing of the Bible. The Bible does say we're to be about evangelism. We already talked about that, preaching and teaching. But also watching is a daily thing that a disciple of Jesus will do. Um, why do we do it? John gives us the best answer, I think, in 1 John 3. Beloved, which is the church, now are we the sons of God, and it doth not yet appear what we shall be. But we know that when he shall appear, that's Jesus, we shall be like him. Does that make anybody happy? When he appears, and I believe that's the rapture of the church. When the church is raptured, we get to see him appearing in the clouds. He's not coming to touch on the earth. It's not a coming. The rapture is us meeting him in the air. And that's where he appears. And it says, when, when we see him, when he shall appear, we shall be like him. Oh, I can't wait. I don't like being Brett. I'm done. <laughs> Time to hang up the old Brett thing and become like, more like Jesus. When we see him, we will become like him. What a glorious day that will be. Now notice this is for we shall see him as he is. Right now we only see him through a glass, what? Darkly. But when we see him, we'll see him. When we see him, we'll just be, wow, we had no idea how amazing. When we see him, we'll see him for as he is. And then finally, verse three, and every man, and I would add woman, that hath this hope in himself. What's, what hope? the hope of Christ's coming. Every man that has this hope in him purifies himself even as he is pure. What happens to the person that's watching for Jesus? There's a purifying effect. If you believe the rapture of the church, the coming of Christ could be this afternoon, are you gonna go home after church and do some meth? Let's do some meth. The Lord's coming back. Let's just do a little meth before the rapture. Or let's go down to the, the strip club down here and let's just go check out the girls. Are you gonna do that? No, because if you believe the Lord could come back this afternoon, you're gonna say, let's go pray. Let's go preach the gospel. Let's do something on these last days that we're living to just be effective for Christ. Um, he who has this hope, there's a purifying effect. It cleans your life up. And I think the best way to live, even if I die, for it, you know, whenever I die and, and you say, well, Brett was preaching about the rapture and prophecy. I wanna go on record. I would never change a thing because the Lord wants us to preach about the rapture and the second coming of Christ. And we're supposed to live with that eminent possibility of his return that can happen at any, at any moment. Changes the way you live. And that's something that we're supposed to do daily, daily watching for the Lord. Um, the Bible says that maybe even more than almost all the other things that I've talked about. Now, when I was a kid growing up, we lived on a farm. And in the summer, I would wake up and my mom would have a list of chores that she'd put on a magnet on the fridge. And, and she'd always write the little sentence, you know, collect the eggs from the chicken coop. And there was a little box. And then she'd write another box, mow the lawn. Another little box, pick up the cow pies in the, in the pasture. Uh, another box, water the orchard trees. And, and I remember every Sunday morning, I'd go and see what my list was. But I had this kind of joy as a kid, after I do each thing, I'd go and check the box. There was like a sick joy that came from, ha ah, I get to check this box. And ever since then, I've been a box checker. I'm just a box checker kind of person. I'm so thankful for notes on the iPhone because it lets you put little boxes there to check. It's so awesome. Um, but uh, I do that with the Bible. In fact, the Bible gives us checklists. I love all the checklists of the Bible, but I think what we just covered is kind of a, an interesting checklist, all the daily things. These are all the things the Bible says to do daily. Um, and I'm gonna put over the, under the whole umbrella of what Jesus said, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily. That's the everything umbrella. Underneath that, I would put these seven things that are, the Bible says are daily. And they're not exclusive from that first one. Um, so what would happen if you made this a checklist, even this week? and said, man, I'm gonna each day start out my day in prayer, committing my body a sacrifice to the Lord. Maybe even do what we talked about, go through your mouth and ears and feet and hands and you know, your brain and your eyes and just dedicate your body to the Lord. Say, Lord, I wanna live my life for you today. 
And then also in your morning devotions, after you offer yourself also to cry out to the Lord. There's so many problems in the world. Start your day out crying out to the Lord and saying, Lord, forgive us as a nation and help the situation in Israel and, and the Ukrainian conflict and all the stuff that's going on. Like cry out to the Lord and then look for an opportunity, teaching and preaching to people you don't know even who, uh, whether they're saved, share the word of God. Searching, searching the scriptures, daily devoting time to reading of the Bible yourself, not just listening to a podcast or listening to you know, teaching, just reading the Bible yourself. And then comforting, giving that word daily of, of comfort, exhortation, building up, and then dying. Just look for opportunities to say, I'm gonna die to myself, like Jesus demonstrated for us. Paul, the apostle, demonstrated. And then keep your eyes looking for Jesus. I believe if you show me a person who's even starting to do some of this stuff, I'll show you a real disciple of Jesus Christ doing these things daily. Lord, I pray that you'd help us with these things. Oftentimes in a sanctuary like this, our spirit is willing, but our flesh is weak. Um, so Lord, I pray you just help us to build in the dailiness of our faith, to daily walk with you and to daily die to ourselves, deny ourselves, taking up our cross and following you. Help us to know that and to discern how to best do that. Bless these, your people. For those who don't know you or not saved, none of this really matters. I pray that they'd repent of their sins and confess their need for salvation and believe that you came and died on the cross for their sins and rose up from the grave, that they too would be saved, forgiven, and then that they might become disciples. Help all the people to have ears to hear in Jesus' name, amen.